Hello and welcome to Eyes on Research, the podcast that digests the latest scientific innovations in eye research using simple and understandable terms. I am your host, Thales Guimarães, medical doctor and clinician scientist at Northfield's Eye Hospital. Hello and welcome to another episode of this podcast. Today we have another sunny day in the UK. You may remember I said the same thing last week and you know, <laughs> twice in a row with London is almost unheard. <laughs> I'm also testing a new high quality microphone today that I just got so hopefully you can hear me pretty well. We'll be discussing today a very up-to-date topic. Um, so basic concepts of gene therapy, how it's used and what the future holds for this technology and some of the pitfalls that we see in practice. I hope you enjoy. Um, so let's start this. There has been an explosion of the number of clinical trials testing different gene therapy trials. But what is gene therapy? So gene therapy is essentially a technique that modifies a person's gene to treat or cure a disease. Gene therapy products are being studied to treat a variety of diseases such as cancer, infectious diseases, and genetic diseases as well. But the term gene therapy is a term that means a lot of things, right? And it can work by several mechanisms as well. Firstly, by replacing a disease-causing gene with a healthy copy of the gene, meaning that a gene has a mutation that causes a disease and you're giving a healthy copy without this mutation to the patient. Secondly, also inactivating a disease-causing gene that is not working properly. And lastly, it can also work by introducing a new or modified gene into the body to help treat a disease. With that being said, as I mentioned before, gene therapy is a term that means many things, right? And there are several types of gene therapy products that we can have. And I think this is, uh, this is a distinction that we have to make to proceed, just so it makes sense of what exactly is gene therapy. So the first way is using viral vectors, which are very common, right? Particularly in ophthalmology because they have a natural ability to deliver genetic material into the cells. And also because they cause low inflammatory responses, so low immunogenic responses. Uh, one thing that's important to mention is that a gene can't be easily inserted into your cells. Rather, it needs to be delivered using a carrier, which we call a vector. This is essentially a vessel carrier sequence of a healthy gene. The particular type of viral vector that we use for genetic disorders of the retina is called adeno-associated viral vector, in short, AAV, which has become the leading platform for gene delivery for the treatment of a variety of diseases in the retina. And other genes, other uh, viruses have been tested, but the adeno-associated viral vectors are by far the platform of choice. These are small viruses that have some, um, some things that make it highly uh, modifiable and also effective. Uh, they infect humans and other species of primates, so they're, they're specific. They're not only known to cause low inflammatory responses, which is something that we look for, 
due to safety reasons, but they also have a small DNA, as I mentioned, and a protein shell that we call capsid, which easily allows for the bioengineering of its properties. So what is done is that the viruses are bioengineered and modified to carry therapeutic genes into human cells. We usually call these types of cells uh, of gene therapies by its full name, right? Gene supplementation or gene replacement therapy. Because remember, gene therapy means a lot of different things. This one is called gene supplementation therapy. Because remember, we are essentially calling it by what it is. We are supplementing a copy of a healthy gene. Viruses are currently the most used type of vessel, of vector, because they have a natural ability to deliver genetic material into the cells. Right? We can't just deliver the gene, we need to put it inside the cells, and we need something to transfect it to the cells. That's how we call And before the vectors are the, the, the viruses are used in humans, we modify it to reduce its ability to cause infectious diseases. Now, one thing I should say here is that there are other types of vectors, such as non-viral vectors, but they produce a lower level of transfection, meaning introducing DNA into cells. They don't really introduce that much DNA into the cells. And also gene expression, and thus they have a lower therapeutic effect. A few of the methods of non-viral gene therapy include the use of inorganic particles, dendrimers, and oligonucleotides, which, by the way, is very relevant because it has been tested in a clinical trial for retinitis pigmentosa, which is a retinal disease. It's an inherited retinal disease. And on this specific case, caused by mutations in a gene named USH2A, USH2A, which if you've heard our episode two weeks ago about Usher syndrome, you know that this is the most common cause of Usher syndrome. So go ahead and give it a listen. Uh, this will make more sense to you. Another form of gene therapy product, that's the second one, is the human gene editing technology. We love this. We also call this genome editing or genome surgery. This is a group of technologies that allow scientists to change an organism's DNA as opposed to just supplementing a copy of a healthy gene. How cool is that? The most well-known is called CRISPR-Cas9, which is short for clustered regularly interspaced short palindromic repeats and CRISPR-associated protein 9. Phew, I know. I always wonder <laughs> where we get these names, really. Um, but what's important is what it is, right? Anyway, it has uh, 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 CRISPR -Cas, has, has CRISPR Cas9 has generated a lot of excitement in the scientific community because it's faster and more accurate than other methods of genome editing that have been postulated. And by the way, you know, it's very interesting and I, I really love to talk about evolution and where we get these things. So CRISPR-Cas9 is adapted from a naturally occurring defense system that bacteria uses in its long life fight with viruses. You see, when the viruses infect a bacteria, small pieces of the virus's DNA are captured and inserted into the bacteria's own DNA in a pattern to create segments named CRISPR arrays, right? Which is essentially a segment of DNA material. 
which allows the bacteria to remember the viruses, right? If it attacks again, the bacteria will produce RNA segments from those CRISPR arrays, those segments, that recognize and attach to the virus's DNA. The bacteria will then use something really cool called COS9, which is an enzyme that cuts the DNA apart, cuts that specific segment of DNA, which disables the virus. And that's what we're using to modify, or in other words, repair mutated genes in humans. How cool is that? Now, that's still in very early stages, uh, but we, we hope that we'll get there soon. And we think that this is really the future uh, of genetic therapies. Another gene therapy that I should say uh, it comes to mind is when you remove cells from the patients, which are then genetically modified, again, often using a viral vector, that's our vessel of choice, and then return to the patient. We call this patient-derived cellular gene therapy product. Right, so in which diseases do we use gene therapy? The first attempt, and just for a, a little bit of a historic perspective here, the first attempt to use gene therapy was in 1980, but the first successful gene transfer in humans was performed in May of 1989. The results, which were published in a very reputable scientific journal, the New England Journal of Medicine in 1990. In a span of 30 years since 1990, <laughs> more than 3,000 clinical trials using some form of gene therapy were conducted for different indications, right? Everything that you can imagine, genetic disorders, infectious disease, more than half of them stopped in phase one. And by the way, uh, we just discussed phases of research studies in the last episode, so go check it out as it's relevant to this as well. Um, and you understand that this is the discovery phase. This is an early study phase. And some studies, they do stop in a phase one, particularly when it's new technology like this. There may be safety issues. There may be a lack of uh, future efficacy. Remember that we are always overshooting efficacy as well. And, and But most studies, when they stop in a phase one, it's because of safety reasons. In 2003, the first gene therapy was approved, Gendesign. And this is a medication that was used to treat patients with a form of cancer in head and neck caused by mutations in a gene named TP53. Since then, other gene therapies were approved, such as Glibera in 2012, which was designed to reverse a disease called lipoprotein lipase deficiency, which is a rare genetic disease, disease caused by mutations on a gene named LPL, which cause severe pancreatitis. Then Streamvelis in 2016 was also approved for severe combined immunodeficiency due to adenosine deamine deficiency. And then, more relevant to our podcast and what we're talking about, Luxtuna, which is also a gene therapy that was approved in October 2017 for a severe form of inherited retinal disease called Leber congenital amaurosis. And we use that in, in Leber congenital amaurosis caused by mutations on a gene named RPE65. Now, the price of this treatment, just, just for reference, was announced as 425,000 per eye. 
And just an FYI, because this represents one of the big biggest barriers we have. We'll talk about that pretty soon. But what's important to notice is that these treatments are quite expensive. But then these multiple gene therapy trials that we have been talking have targeted different diseases, right? Cancer, genetic diseases such as spinal muscular atrophy, liver congenital amaurosis, and infectious diseases, right? Gene therapy has been used in the past in clinical trials to try and um, uh, and treat HIV, for example, hepatitis B, hepatitis C, malaria, right? Now, your next question may be, are there, it all sounds very promising, we can change the genetic sequence and we can treat previously untreatable diseases, right? Your next question may be, are there difficulties to this? Are there any safety concerns? The short answer is that the most up-to-date evidence reveals it to be well-tolerated. Now, the long answer is that there are some theoretical risks and unsolved problems as well. The first and most major one being related to the body's immune system. Remember that any time a foreign object is inserted into human tissues, the immune system is stimulated to attack the invader. When that happens in gene therapy, the effectiveness of the treatment may reduce. Moreover, the immune system enhanced response to the virus it has already seen before may reduce the effectiveness of repeated treatment. You can call it memory if you'd like. We have a very good immune system. The long-term follow-ups of Luxtuna, which is the only gene therapy that was approved for retinal disease, uh, for an inherited retinal disease. However, it shows that this gene uh, has a high safety profile, that this, uh, 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 the gene therapies have a high safety profile for retinal use. But that's the first difficulty, generally speaking, for gene therapies. The second difficulty is also related to this, and it's the fact that viral vectors may carry risks, right, of toxicity and targeting issues as well. In many cases, it's hard to target a specific tissue, right? So if you're doing a liver gene therapy, you're also scared that it may affect other tissues in the body. This is not the case, okay, for retinal gene therapy as we essentially put the viruses carrying the genetic information in a space below the retina, which is somewhat of a protected space from the systemic circulation. And the retina is this photo, just as a reminder, is this photosensitive tissue that we have in the back of the eyes, which is responsible for processing of the photos of light that comes inside our eyes. So, you know, crucial for vision. Another difficulty is that gene therapy may have indeed a short-lived nature. That's because it's difficult to integrate DNA into the nuclear genome of patients and because of the rapidly dividing nature of many cells, which essentially prevents it from achieving long-term benefits. So then patients may require multiple treatments. And that's one of the things that we currently don't know very well. Can we do that? And should we do that? And does it need to be done? These are some of the things that we're still trying to figure out. Another potential risk is insertional mutagenesis, 
which is a big word that means uh, when the DNA is integrated in the wrong spot in the genome, in a somewhat sensitive spot, such as, for example, a tumor suppressor gene. Now, tumor suppressor genes are genes that regulate a cell during division and replication. If there is a mutation there, it may reduce its function as a tumor suppressor gene, and it could induce the formation of a tumor. This has happened before in clinical trials for a genetic form of immunodeficiency, which led to a form of leukemia. For eye diseases, though, the risk seems to be very theoretical and cancer formation has never been demonstrated in any clinical trial to date. Lastly, and that's the, I think, one of, uh, it's a big conversation we have to have, actually. Uh, and this is one of the biggest pitfalls of gene therapy in this age. And that's the cost, right? The cost is quite literally stratospheric. Glibera, for example when it was approved, it was used for lipoprotein lipase deficiency, we just spoke about this, uh, it, costs, it costs a whooping 1.6 million per patient when it was approved. 1.6 million dollars per patient, you heard it right. That's the, that's the cost of that drug. Now, the biopharma who produced this medication announced that it would not renew its marketing authorization for this drug. And if I recall correctly, that was in 2017. And it was withdrawn from the market as it was shown to be a commercial failure, right? Now this, you know, it's a lesson that we need to, uh, that we need to take from. And, you know, this raises many questions about the model that these drugs have been commercialized after approval, right? The, the biggest problem we have is that it's a combination of rare diseases where the patients will only be treated once with a costly new technology, so it's costly to build these things. It's very expensive to develop a clinical trial for it. And this leads to exorbitant prices when this gets approved. It does, however, hold promise to a very bright future. It's very safe to say that we live in the era of gene therapy. It's not the future, but the present. Genetic therapies may be used to prevent, treat, or even cure previously untreated inherited retinal diseases, right? Or other inherited diseases in the body. It doesn't need to be specifically in the retina. I know this is an eye-related podcast, but we need to talk about everything here since we're talking about science. So diseases like cystic fibrosis, hemophilia, sickle cell diseases... Uh, which are some of the things that come to mind right now. And then retinitis pigmentosa, since we're talking about the eyes, along with other many retinal diseases. They may also be used to treat cancers, infections, including HIV. Essentially, gene therapy has become a platform that allows us to treat orphan diseases, so diseases that currently have no other form of treatment. Now, to focus a bit on the eyes, I discussed in the cone and cone rod dystrophy episode that most gene therapies are gene-specific, right? So you need to know not only the disease, but also the gene that's causing the condition to be able to participate in a clinical trial, right? So you may have, for example, retinitis pigmentosa, and it's clinically very clear that that's the case. 
But if we're looking to enroll you in a clinical trial, we also need to find the genetic mutation that's causing that specific disease. There are, however, gene agnostic gene therapy trials, which are on the verge to start, meaning that you don't need a specific gene there uh, a specific gene mutation to be eligible to participate and that's very relevant because sometimes we don't make the genetic diagnose in around 30 to 40 percent of cases we can't find the genetic mutation and that's because of a combination of us not knowing everything there is to know about genetics and also perhaps not having the technology to look at all of the areas and some things like how genes interact we don't really know very well, um, which is an entire field of genetics. So it's very relevant that we have, you know, gene therapy trials that are starting that are not specific to a gene. So stay tuned as we'll keep you up to date with any advances that happen in this fascinating field. That's essentially what I wanted to talk today. I wanted to give a brief overview of what gene therapy is and what are the difficulties that we have because um, this is the first stepping stone in trying to understand the next few things that are coming in terms of treatments. Thank you for listening to me today. If you like what we do, please consider sharing, liking, and subscribing to our website, www.eyesonresearch.org, where you also have the opportunity to support what we do. We want to keep making uh, high-quality content for all, and your support is invaluable for that. We post short videos on our social media accounts, at Research. That's the, uh, the handle. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, you name it, we have it. (laughs) So do check us out. I hope to see you soon and I wish you a wonderful week. Bye-bye.